This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. The America's Cup. And Dennis Connor coming to you from the Specialty Produce Network. It's a, it's a great company, great people, and wonderful products. And I'm thrilled that uh, I'm able to use their podcast to come to you today and say hello. You know, we've had uh, some chats before about, well, Dennis Connor growing up as a kid, fortunate to live near the San Diego Yacht Club and have some great role models and how it all worked with the opportunity to go down to the San Diego Yacht Club and and uh, learn, learn uh, basically by watching and, and actually doing. So now I think you're probably uh, a little more interested in, Dennis, how can we win a sailboat race? I'm going to uh, get started by uh, suggesting to you that in, uh, preparation is a key to almost anything. It certainly is when you, if you're varnishing and uh, how you sand the varnish or uh, – how you take care of your car if you want it to run, or uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. To me, preparation is, is just can never be uh, replaced. And, and that's the same in sailboat racing. So I'm going to start uh, with the two different types of basic boats that uh, we're racing. One is uh, one design boats, like a Lightning, a Snipe, Etchel, Star, J70, Day 105, etc., where you're basically racing the uh, fiberglass hull produced out of a mold, and the keel is uh, coming from the uh, caster, who is uh, trying to make all the keels the same weight and roughly the same shape. And the builder puts them together and uh, puts the mast in it, and now you have a boat. Well. In one design, sometimes a little easier and sometimes a little more difficult. The, the uh, good way to start is with the uh, tuning guide, usually available from the uh, sailmaker. So I know that in the case of a, a J105 or an Etchels, which I'm familiar with, you can uh, go uh, or, or write or go online uh, from north and get a tuning guide if you're a north guy or if you're a... Uh, Ullman guy, you can get it from Ullman, or you can go on the website and they'll have tuning guides that will help you with the uh, initial setup of your boat. And th- th- to me, for the average person, a lot better way than trying to figure it all out yourself. So if you go on the tuning guide, it'll usually uh, start with the mass position. As, that's the beginning is where, where does the mass go in the boat or the, in the mass step? because there's uh, two or three inches of uh, options down there on where the foot of the mast can go. So if it's 17 foot, six and a quarter inches, then uh, make sure you know how to measure from the corner of the transom with the tape measure that goes over the uh, end of the combing and down to the back of the mast, 17 foot, six and a half inches, whatever the tuning guide tells you to do. And uh, mark, mark your step with the, some sort of identifiable pro- process so you know where you are, where your mast is. If you just look in the boat, you can, you can see uh, where, where your starting point is here because that might change as we get into that a uh, little more sophistication uh, l- later down the, uh, the podcast. So we're going to get the mast in the boat the right place. 
then the, the next thing that we need to do is to, we need to uh, get it in the right place at the partner. And there's a lot of different sophisticated uh, ways that the blocking at the partner can be changed. The better boats and the better people, they'll have a way they could change the blocking uh, from the cockpit or the crew can change it from the console. So if you want a little more mast bend, you can just take a half-inch chalk out of the front of the mast, pull on the backstay, and the mast will certainly bend more, particularly down low, where uh, the uh, you can control the, the flatness of the main, a very critical part of it, especially upwind. Uh, not so critical downwind. And then when you go downwind, you can take the chalks out, out of the front of the mast, let your backstay completely loose, and of course, your mast will, will go forward. And uh, generally speaking, downwind, that uh, boats go better if the mast is a, a quite a bit forward, almost as far forward as it can possibly go. If you look at the good starboat sailors, you'd swear the mast is in the process of breaking. The tip of the mast is actually over the bow of the boat. And the etchel's a little bit different because you can only put the mast so far forward in the partner by, by rule. You can't make a two-foot-long partner. It is what it is, and the way the mold is, comes from the builder is usually the, the maximum opening at the, at the deck. But it's important to get your cho- be able to get your chocks out so that when you let the backstay off that the mast will go forward. And we'll talk about why and how, how and why that's important. But let's just leave it for now that it's important to be able to move the mast at the deck during the race legally with a minimum of fuss and bother. Okay, so now we have our mast in the boat. What, what next? Well, the next critical part, depending upon uh, where you're racing, you'll want to have a different rake to the mast. The amount of mast tips forward or backwards uh, from straight up uh, vertical in the boat. So most boats have a bit of rake. Very few that the mast actually comes out of the boat straight. So when the mast... Uh, does come out of the boat, of course, it puts some tension on the side shrouds and the spreaders, but also on the headstay, if uh, that's the way you're set up. But you, the rake is is critical because it changes the center of the moment of inertia of the sail plan. So I think you could understand that if you let more rake in the boat, the mast tipping further back, when I say rake, where the tip of the mast is closer to the transom, if it has more rake or closer to the bow, if it has less rake. So depending on the rake, it, it, you can imagine that the effort on the, uh, when the wind hits the sail will change the uh, performance of the boat considerably because it affects the helm. Generally speaking, if you have more rake, you're going to have more helm if, with the uh, same amount of twist in the main if you trim the same amount on the main sheet. Of course, you can have more rake and not trim as hard. The helm will be the same, and this, then the, what happens then is the, uh, the sail gets more open on the top, more twist. But we're going to cover that in uh, ensuing podcasts. Uh, we're not really at that uh, point in, in the preparation that we need to talk about that. So we now we have the mast in the boat at a starting point for, based on your tuning guide, or if you have... Uh, if you have Vince Brune or, or uh, someone of that caliber, uh, Judd Smith, Augie Diaz, a uh, boat right next to yours, 
don't just go by the tuning guide. You might take my tape over there once they go home, and I'd put my tape on their mast and see what mast uh, position they're using and uh, check their rake. Check their rake and uh, try to remember what wind conditions that uh, they sailed in last so you'll know how they had their boat set up for 10 knots of wind or 5 knots of wind or 20 knots of wind. So, and you, you have to get these numbers almost in your head or written down in a wet note somewhere as to uh, how things change and how your performance changes. So, now, moving on, we have the mast in the boat. We've got the, uh, some chocks at the uh, deck level so we can uh, affect a different mast bend down low. And we have uh, the ability to uh, get the proper amount of rake depending upon the type of boat and, and wind conditions that we're going to experience sailing. So uh, that's a good, a good way to start with the mast. Before you put the mass in, in the boat itself, though, it's, it's very important to do some uh, basic maintenance and, and uh, touch-up on the mast. The uh, fittings should be as light as possible. Of course, you don't want them to break. So your mast lock and your, uh, your shivs, I've seen some masts come with big metal shivs, and plastic shivs w- would be uh, just fine. You can see some boats come with big, uh, say, quarter-inch halyards when a three-sixteenth halyard would would uh, be just fine. And the shackle that you attach the halyard to the sail, you don't need a big clunky uh, uh, shackle on there. There's a lot of uh, more sophisticated ways to attach the halyards to the sails. And, of course, the fairing on the mast, it's legal to uh, fare your fittings in. I've seen some people uh, go to the effort of actually putting the uh, edge of the fittings uh, so that when the wind hits the mast, it doesn't uh, create more friction and turbulence so that the wind can go around the back of the mast and hit the sail as close to the as possible and uh, like having more sail area if you can make that work. So we're going to get that mast, for me, smooth is a good way to start, whether it's with uh, sandpaper or whatever, uh, polish, etc. I think it, it's important to have it smooth. And again, if you're going to sand it with a wet and dry or whatever before you put any kind of coating on there, make sure that you sand it uh, the same way the wind is going to hit the mast. If the wind is going to hit it fore and aft, don't stand up and down on, on your mast as you're uh, fairing your mast. Okay, so we now, now we have the uh, mast is good. What about the shrouds? Well, this is, uh, again, very important because if you want to adjust your uh, rig, as the wind changes, uh, as the conditions change, San Diego can usually a little bit lighter in the morning. And as the breeze comes up 2.30 in the afternoon, it's a little windier. So you would want to change the, the uh, uh, tension on your side shrouds because that will affect the uh, tension on the end of the spreaders, and that'll affect your mass bend. So we're talking about shrouds now and easily adjusted shrouds. There's maybe 10 different ways of turnbuckles and types of turnbuckles, some really fancy with little handles that uh, flip up and you can hold the top steady and move the bottom handle quite easily and, uh, and, and quickly. 
or some of the older boats, uh, you, you might say, uh, haven't kept up, they'll actually have a turnbuckle where you have to hold the top of the shroud and turn the turnbuckle with a screwdriver uh, through the bronze uh, fitting or stainless uh, fitting to adjust the shrouds. But this takes time, and it's hard to replicate, and you can't really see the numbers very easily, especially uh, in difficult conditions. So the side uh, adjusters on your shrouds are an uh, important part of being able to change gears, of shifting gears during the race. Okay, so we also the, the shrouds themselves, uh, there's different types of wire. And it's uh, important to know what you're trying to accomplish. Some, uh, again, uh, some boats have uh, changed the wire so, uh, from 1 by 19 to die form where it doesn't stretch as much. So you can get within the rules, you can have wire the same diameter, but the, uh, the strands are different and uh, you don't have as much stretch in the shrouds. So where you, when you set your shroud, uh, it, it doesn't change as the pressure on the, on the shrouds change. Uh, differ. Okay, so we've got the mass now. We've got it all set to go. It's fair. It's smooth. Every, all the fittings are fared in. We've got the right kind of uh, hires and hired locks and, and shackles for the hires. We've got the, the right uh, shrouds on there, the right stays that uh, are, are best for the boat. And we have the ability to um, change uh, when the, it's legally allowed to, to happen. You can some boats you can't change underway. You have to do it between races. I, I, I think in some regattas, like if you're going to a round-robin regatta, the yacht club might set the boat up uh, with uh, its maintenance crew, and now you're not allowed to change the uh, shrouds at all. And uh, So, again, be careful. Don't, don't uh, violate the rules. Part of the preparation, know, know your class rules. Okay, so now we've got a mast and we've got some shrouds. Well, well what's next? Well, it seems uh, uh, silly to even mention it, but the controls of the boat are important. And that's because it, you, if you want to move your traveler, you don't want to have to get off the uh, high side and go down there and uncleat something in the cockpit. You want to be able to reach that while you're hiked out. So you can, if you need a little more helm, you can pull the traveler up moves the boom up on the center line, or if it's a little windy and you're getting a little too much helm, you can ease the traveler down and, and uh, alleviate some of the pressure on the helm, and uh, the boat will uh, go through the water faster. Might not point as high, so you've got to be careful about that. But So the, 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 the traveler control is a key control. And, of course, the main sheet, the same. Some people have a fitting and a party post in the middle of the boat with cleats up on the uh, side, and of course, some people have uh, swivel uh, cleats where you just cleat it and move from one side to the other. You just pull it over to the other side. And some have different cleats on their, uh, what I would call a barney post or their center console. On that console will also be the uh, control for the uh, Cunningham or downhaul. Cunningham named after uh, Briggs Cunningham, a famous race car driver that sailed uh, Columbia in the America's Cup in 1958, very clever engineer, great guy too, by the way. So you have the Cunningham for the main to pull the uh, sail uh, a little tighter if it's got wrinkles you don't like to see or you want to flatten the main. You're all, you'll also have the uh, 
con- controls there for the uh, mast. So you can move your mast up or down. And then somewhere along that console, it's got to be your boom vane. This is a key item for uh, predominantly for going downwind because it controls the twist of your main and a key key control. Some people actually uh, uh, change this during the, the uh, surfing of the of the waves. Uh, so the boom vane right up there with the traveler control and the main sheet it has to be easy to pull too. You have to have the right amount of purchase on there. A boom vane that you can't uh, tighten, what, what good is it? So you have to make sure you have the uh, enough purchase on there so that you can pull on the shrouds. It is, uh, I mean, pull on the uh, uh, boom to, to uh, affect the twist of your, of your sail uh, downwind. Now, th- <laughs> that's a whole other subject we're going to have to talk about later, but that twist downwind really makes a difference and. There's not a unanimity of the best sailors. Some sail with a lot looser uh, vang so that it uh, gets the, the twist of, of the uh, mainsail around the uh, uh, leeward side or some like it tight and uh, telltale's flowing. Not sure which is best for the uh, sake of this podcast. So we'll just uh, move on from that. So the controls are there. The next thing that you'll need to that are important like um, again, hate to harp on the etchels because, but I do know that boat. And if you're going to race in etchels in San Francisco, you better have good pumps. We went to um, a lot of work to find out what uh, the best way of clearing the water out of the boat. And uh, I'm sure there's a lot of very good pumps out there. We ended up with a pump called a Henderson double action pump, where you had a piece of shot cord that pulled the handle of the pump one way, and then you pulled the uh, back uh, the power back from your console again the other way. So the pump was was pumping a bit of half the work itself, and you were doing the other half. But very very important to um, have good pumps and make sure that the intake on your pumps has got some wire or mesh or something to keep uh, bits and pieces from going inside of a, a powerful t- a pump. I can't tell you how many times I've t- when I do the maintenance on my pump, you should see what you find inside, inside the bladder uh, of your pump. I mean, everything from screws, telltale material, wool, food. It's amazing the stuff that can get in your pump. And, of course, when that's in there, your pump won't, won't uh, work as well. So, again, preparation, preparation, preparation. So we've, we've uh, talked about our control. We, we've uh, talked about our pumps. Again, uh, thinking of steering the boat, we have a tiller that um, sounds innocuous, but thousands of dollars have been spent uh, on boats uh, with the, the tiller control, uh, which controls the rudder post of, of the boats. The first thing that's really critical is that the tiller head fits snugly over the top of the tiller post. It's just impossible to get the real feel of the boat, to get the most out of the boat, unless you can kind of become one with the boat. And if your tiller head is loose on the top of the tiller, you don't know what the boat wants to do. It can just flop back and forth. And uh, you need to be able to feel the pressure on the rudder. 
and that comes to you via the uh, uh, rudder post and the tiller. So make sure that your tiller head on top of the post is, is tight and firm. And uh, again, going back to the etchels, they change the actual shape of the tiller itself. It's not just a straight piece of wood. It's got a curve to it so that uh, you can move the tiller more easily when you tack and get in and underneath it when you're tacking. So it all sounds like small minutiae, but uh, incredible amount of thought and preparation. Again, preparation, when you hear me talking, preparation is uh, uh, done by the really good guys. Uh, when I was sailing a starboat with Jim Reynolds, we had the starboat over in the garage at uh, where Mark Reynolds lives now at, on Rosecrans. And we worked on that every night, just simple little things. Well, this kind of bothered me when I was hiking. It, it was getting in the back of my leg. So we changed that. Or the, the hiking straps or, or the, the boots or, or the, the fittings that hold you in there. Very important that the, that the uh, padding that goes over your legs doesn't cut off the circulation. So, again... It, it's coming back to preparation, isn't it? Okay, so well, what about the boat itself now? We've, we've talked about the fittings and the, the mast. And the, uh, don't forget your boom, too. I, I neglected to say how important it is to be able to have enough pressure uh, uh, for your outhaul to work properly and your car or whatever fitting groove that your uh, clue of your mainsail is in so that if you want to tighten your outhaul when the breeze comes up, that you can pull on the outhaul and the sail will get tighter along the foot to flatten the sail. If you can't change that outhaul, you're not going to be um, able to optimize in different conditions. If it's either going to be too tight when it's windy, or it's going to be, if you have it set up for light air and a little fuller foot, then it's not going to be tight enough. Uh, to flatten the sail. So that, uh, there, there's your boom. Don't forget that. I, I neglected to mention that. So what about the hull itself? Well, you can't legally change the hull in, in one design. We're talking one design now. So you can, you can sand it. You can fare it with a block, but generally not allowed to actually change the shape of the boat. So you can... You can try to uh, affect the uh, gel coat or the, the linear polyurethane if you've sprayed the boat, and, and you can try to sand it. Uh, we like to sand the boat, again, in the same direction that the water is going to flow over the boat. So if it's fore and aft, uh, then we, we, we try to sand the boat with whatever medium you're using, call it 400, 600 and a block, sand fore and aft as opposed to across the boat uh, when you're on your final uh, preparation. If you're fairing, that's another thing. You can go crossways uh, as opposed to you don't have to always go fore and aft. But the last one, I like to make it, uh, the, the, whatever marks are left in the, in the uh, surface, I like to see those going uh, fore and aft. And in this regard, uh, I'm, I'm certainly the furthest away from being a physicist and tell you how the laminar flow uh, will w work on these boats. But I I'm told that the uh, laminar flow, the first 10 or 15% of the boat, is by far the most critical part of the boat. That's where the uh, you can really cut down on the drag 
and extend the, uh, uh, the l- uh, less drag further back in the boat. Because when you get back to the keel and you, uh, you, you start uh, talking about turbulent flow for that keel and then uh, separated flow in the back, now the, s- the smoothness matters, but it's not critical. It's not as critical. But that forward 10, 15% of the boat, really important. If you're going to spend your time, I'd spend half the time on that 10% and the other half the time on the other 90%. Now we get to the keel, it's the same situation. People spend a lot of time messing with their keels, sometimes legal, sometimes not. But this is a real speed-producing item, real speed-producing item almost as important as the sails or just as important because this is what keeps you from going uh, sideways upwind. It's your, it's your, uh, the wing that keeps you from going sideways or more leeway. And downwind, of course, if it's not fair and smooth, then you have more drag. So a lot, a lot of work is spent on trying to get the right shape of the keel. And uh, I don't think ever anybody really knows. They'll tell you they know the, the right shape. If you asked uh, uh, Dave Pedrick, he'd tell you one shape, and Bruce Nelson would tell you another tra- shape, and Herman Freres would tell you another shape. But they, uh, they, uh, they're not shy on uh, their opinion. But gosh, I, I, uh, one of them is right and the others are wrong. But the, that leading edge of that keel is uh, a lot of options. Does it look like a pencil? Or does it look like a knife? Is it sharp in the front? And how far back does that sharpness go? On some boats, you're only allowed to fare within an inch and a half of the front edge of the keel. You can't just fare it into the keel. So again, be careful with the rules. Don't want to get in trouble with the, with the uh, measurement committee. But that leading edge, just like the fr- leading edge of your boat, that leading edge of your keel, so, so uh, critical to have the right shape. What the right shape is, well, depends on the boat. And so uh, I can't tell you that, but uh, a good place to start, again, check out your world champion. What is Augie using? What is uh, Mark Reynolds using? What's Vince Bruni using? What's uh, uh, Judd Smith? What, are their, what does their boat look like? It didn't just get that way by accident, believe me. So... If you don't know, the, uh, check out the competition and uh, give them a lot of credit because sometimes they can be smarter than you are. So we're going to get that front end of that keel just right, the right shape. We're going to get it smooth again, sanding fore and aft. The back of the keel, I think that uh, basically a sharp trailing edge, as long as it's not rounded to get sharp, if, it, if it's fair to get sharp and uh, I think a sharp edge is, is not a bad way to go, but some keels do have uh, back edges that are, have been squared off with a little block and the eighth of an inch uh, wide in the back, and, and that, that works uh, just fine as well. Sometimes it's easier to maintain either because a sharp edge, bump it with a kelp stick or on the trailer, uh, just general maintenance, more difficult to keep that trailing edge uh, straight and sharp than it is if it was square. So you're getting the idea of the front uh, edge of the keel and the, the blade itself, but the um, fillet 
between the hole and and the blade itself also very important. And uh, again, a naval architect would tell you that sometimes it's better to have a bit of a curve in the front fillet, fillet being the uh, fairing between the blade and, and the hull. And then as you get further back in the fillet towards the aft end of the keel and hull, it's uh, better to have a, a bit more definition, a little sharper uh, attachment to to the, from the uh, keel to the hull. So you got the... A lot going on with that keel, don't you? Here we got that uh, leading edge, got it smooth, fair, uh, the right shape, and now you got the fillet between the uh, top of the uh, blade itself and the hull. Well, what about the bottom of the? What about the bottom of the keel? We saw uh, the uh, Dutch uh, invent some wings for Alan Bond in nineteen. Uh, 83, and we lost the America's Cup because they had a better bottom of the keel. They had wings on the bottom of the keel. We didn't even know about wings. So the shape of the bottom of the keel, is it square? Is it, uh, some boats come to a point. Some uh, boats you can't touch. Some boats have wings. Some uh, uh, Now we've got foils too, don't we, on the bottom of the keel. Look at your new... Uh, Hot uh, catamarans and trimarans, uh, their hull doesn't even touch the water. Well, what's keeping them up out of the water? Well, it's the foils, the foils on the bottom of the keel. And the shape of the foil, critical, critical. And uh, the the, the, uh, gurus in the the racing these catamarans would tell you that the angle of the the, uh, foil itself as well as the ends of the foil, really matter, really make a difference. But this is a whole other uh, discussion and more sophisticated that we're not uh, going to discuss here while we're talking about prep- uh, boat uh, uh, preparation. So we've got the hull. We talked about, uh, uh, we've talked about the keel. We've talked about the mast. Well, what about the sails? Now, uh, this is going to be for another uh, podcast, another chapter. But the, uh, part of the preparation is uh, deciding how, what to do about your sails. And again, legal, read the class rules. As part of preparation, know the rules. How many sails a year can you have? Some classes you get a button and you're only allowed three buttons per boat per year. Some unlimited. In the America's Cup in uh, 87, we had brand new sail every single day. The, uh, Tom Wooden and the Weeby crew, if we used a uh, number three jib during the race and it was uh, in the upper wind of the sail, we didn't worry about the sail. Uh, it was obviously as light as it could be without breaking and stretching. But if we stretched the sail, we'd just build another sail. Well, not not everybody's that fortunate to have that ability. So you have to t- uh, um, know know your rules, know your sale limitations, and uh, ma- uh, manage your program. A lot of people uh, buy the sale the uh, for next year, the year prior. So if you were going to buy a sale for uh, a big event in ni- in nineteen in two thousand eighteen. You might buy the sale in 2017, brand new, and put the button on 
that says 2017, but you're able to use that sale in 2018 at a big event. So that that would uh, allow you a bigger sale budget, a uh, number of sales. So the, the, uh, the, the uh, research on what sales, S-A-I-L-S, you're going to use, critical. If you're in uh, Marblehead, you'll have a different uh, shape sale than you would if you were racing in, in Bacardi in the uh, smoother uh, uh, water of Biscayne Bay. So you got to decide the sale maker and uh, decide the, uh, what the sales are going to be used for, light, medium, strong men, the strategy involved in picking the sale, and also the sale management uh, of your sale card uh, from your wind design class. So that, that pretty well uh, t- uh, touches the uh, wind design, but the bulk of America, the real base of American uh, Sailors are, are, that aren't racing one design, uh, competitive windward lure races, they're, they're racing a, a combination of uh, cruising boat and sport boat. And these uh, boats take a uh, different type of preparation. So on a PHRF boat, which uh, I know uh, a fair bit about, there's a, a whole different checklist, you, if you will, to getting your boat properly prepared. All the same reasoning that goes into a one design from a uh, keel, a rudder, a fittings, and uh, preparing the bottom standpoint all work the same, but there's a lot more and uh, things to consider. The, the uh, first thing to consider really is the racing rules that you're going to uh, race under. If you're going to race under PHRF, better get a copy of the local PHRF. Uh, if it's uh, Southern Cal, get the Southern Cal. If it's uh, Florida or if it's Great Lakes, get the uh, PHRF uh, rules and study those because they're different from area to area. And with that, the next thing that happens is the rating. It, it really doesn't really matter too much what how fast your boat really is. Uh, it's how fast your boat really is compared to the other boats. And what about the rating, the PHRF rating? Because that seconds per mile, you can if you don't have a rating that's fair, it's uh, pointless to even go out there. You have no chance. If you're going to go out there with a uh, serendipity 43 and try to race against the Mugus 32 with the same rating, forget it. They're faster in light air, they're faster downwind, and way faster when it's windy with the same rating. Well, this all comes to play at your PHRF uh, rating rule and the people making the rating. Or if you're going to go to the uh, Honolulu race, there's a whole rule, a transpac rule, they call it, that is designed to handicap uh, boats going downwind to Hawaii in uh, 12 to 25 knots of wind with big waves and, and uh, try to come up with a performance of, of the hull. A gentleman, a good friend of mine, Dan Nolan, who uh, spent years and years at U.S. Sailing perfecting this rule, is an expert of it, and he's also the commodore of the Transpac Yacht Club. And... Uh, by the way, he loves the uh, Santa Cruz 50s and the Santa Cruz 70s, so 
watch out for them uh, and, and their rating. They're going to be hard to beat. So if you're going to go handicap racing, PHRF, Transpac, across the Atlantic, the rule, the rule itself that determines the amount of time you give to the other boats, it's just so, so I cannot stress how important this is. We have uh, many, many, many designers making a living in the United States solely because of their expertise with the rule. In San Diego, I can tell you that uh, Greg Stewart works uh, with uh, Bruce Nelson at Nelson Merrick. He's an expert on uh, optimizing the rules. If you want to get another five or ten seconds uh, rating, call uh, call uh, the admiral. He'll he'll help you at, uh, at uh, Nelson Merrick, and he'll optimize your your rule. Very fastidious, knowing the positioning of the weight in the boat, how it's measured. Yeah, there's a whole art in how the boats are measured, the uh, the, the the depth, the, uh, the length of the spinnaker pole, where the bands are, all goes into the rating. All has to be optimized. Again, preparation, just in the rating alone, take, can take hours and hours and hours to get the uh, the rating right. And you can't. And it's, don't forget, it's the rating versus the speed. You can, in the old days, you could put a boat bow down and get a better rating, but if you sailed that way, the boat might not be as fast, especially reaching in a breeze. So it's a bit of a compromise there, rating versus uh, performance. But the uh, rating, it just changes the uh, basic perception of of racing and fleet racing and fun racing so much. And again, depending on the area, people just uh, get frustrated with their local PHRF committee. It's not fair. People are cheating. They're, they're rating, gift rating. How many times have you ever heard gift rating in uh, PHRF? The gift rating, you, at, at a certain point, you do everything you can. You get uh, your sails, your boat, the crew, all set to go. And if you have a boat with a bad rating, you know, what's the point? So rating, 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 like preparation, 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 big, big part of uh, racing your cruising boat or your, your heavier uh, displacement boats in your local fleet. Key part of, uh, of getting a boat prepared for, for the race, okay? So we, we talked about the hull, and uh, we've talked about the uh, uh, rating, what about other the other details? Well, there's a myriad of other details that you have to know. The uh, rules in the Ensenada race, they have a whole set of rules just for the Ensenada race. Where is your uh, sticker to go across the border for the border patrol? Well, there's another $100 in three hours of time <laughs> just to get a sticker to, to comply with the rules. Well, what about your crew list? Did you forget to add that last guy to your crew list? And your crew list was supposed to be in 24 hours before the start? What about the rules involved? What about entering? Did you, did you enter in time? And what about the money involved? There, often there's different amounts of money that if you enter the race three months ahead of time, you'll have a different uh, entry fee than if it, the day before or the week before. So the, 
you know, know the entry. You get the entries, the rules. No, you got to read the notice of race, the rules involved of the racing that you're going to go in. And don't forget, that's only a part of it. Don't forget those sailing instructions. They'll come out a week or so before the race. You better make sure that uh, you comply with all, uh, those uh, sailing instructions. Do you have the life jackets and the right kind of uh, life raft and the horn? And what about your VHF radio? Is that charged? Did you put it on the charger when you left last last time? Oh, did I mention the uh, what about what about your GPS? Do you have the chips? If you're going to race in the Pacific Northwest instead of San Diego, did you order the Pacific Northwest chip to uh, go in that Garmin eight seventy one, or you just all you have is Southern California chip that's in there? How are you going to know when the tide's going up and down fifteen feet? Uh, on a different tide period, how deep, how deep it is. How close can you go to get out of the tide? San Francisco the same way. So what about your GPS? Is that working? And what about your batteries? Are your batteries all fully charged? Very key, especially in a longer race. And if you don't want to run that motor and have the distraction of your generator or your motor running, you better have those batteries topped up and make sure they're good. Don't skimp on your batteries. If you can afford it, make sure you get batteries in that uh, both there was a long life, and there's di- as we all know, there's there's a different costs involved, and different power and storage involved in the uh, in in the batteries, and those batteries are important because they're going to run your instruments. Do we talk about our instruments? Ha ha! Especially for people that aren't at the top of their game, instruments a key key part. I know pilots that uh, love to race sailboats. And they just love those instruments. They have a performance projection on a card, how fast the boat's supposed to go in every knot of wind and smooth water, heavy, heavy uh, wind, rough water. Uh, some boats go 6.8 and some boats go 7.2, same boat, depending on the conditions. And, and so there will be people with a performance prediction chart as to how fast the boat should actually be going through the water. And if it's not going that fast through the water, then something's wrong. Traveler's too high. Flatten the sails. High Carter. Move the weight. Something's wrong. So the instruments are the only way you're going to really know that. What are you going to do? Just stare at your, uh, stare at your uh, GPS and see how fast you're going? Well, how, who's going to uh, have that kind of tenacity and concentration for uh, long periods of time? So you need other guides to help you sail the boat well. What about... What about the uh, wind angle, the apparent wind angle? A lot of people like to sail on the apparent wind angle, uh, whether it's 25 degrees, 20 degrees, whatever it is in different conditions. If you have an apparent wind angle, that will help you immensely sail the boat. And what about the wind shifts? Who's going to operate the, uh, the uh, watch that wind shift? And if your batteries are low, what about the electronic compass? It's giving you the input of your of the of the wind direction. So, those batteries they've lost uh, they've caused a lot of drama over the years, and sometimes those batteries can run the pumps too. Uh, so, the batteries are are uh, very important. The, the next thing about the instruments that um, we didn't talk about, but we can we can touch on that is that the instruments need to be calibrated. They don't calibrate themselves. Uh, 
So the first thing we need to do is to uh, get the electronic compass or the compass calibrated. Get out there with the magnets and with your, with your compass adjuster and spend the time it takes doing your 360s and getting the deviation down in your main uh, steering compass uh, the best you can and also have a chart there is where, where it's off knowing what directions it's off in. But though the getting the compass correct and talking to the instruments, key part of getting accurate feedback. How many times have you been on a boat where you, you, on one tack the uh, wind direction says west and when you tack instead of 270 it says 285? Well, how are you going to know if you're on a wind shift or not, crying out loud? You might think, oh, we've got a big right-hand shift. But also maybe that the uh, compass was wrong and it's giving you bad, bad uh, feedback. So get that compass swung. Don't forget that. And if it's an electronic compass, be careful uh, what you put around the, uh, uh, the compass itself because that can obviously uh, metal can uh, affect the compass. So we've talked about our instruments if, uh, being very important, especially if you're a new sailor or a beginning guy and you're not sailing around uh, by the seat of your pants like a small boat racer would, watching the telltales and the, and the uh, telltales on the, on the jib and the main. Those instruments, probably the most single most important thing you can do after you've uh, done all the other things we, we've uh, talked about. Your instruments and the type of instruments are, are uh, also important. I'm not sure which is the best because I'm not up on it, but you know, people swear by uh, B and G, Signet, etc. So the type of instruments and the repeatability are are also important the, to go along with, with with the output and the instruments that you're looking at out on the deck that your crew and the skipper can see. Sometimes bigger instruments, they call them jumbos, are easier for the helmsman to see and easier for him to concentrate. So all goes into the package here of preparation, doesn't it? So preparation, 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 it just can never, it never ends. It never ends. And the people that love it, believe me, they're home thinking about how to, how to make uh, their boat faster just by uh, brain power, by, by thinking, thinking it all through. So that's it for right now on preparation. We may have to add a little bit more sophistication to this in uh, one of our future chats, but uh, you can see a lot, a lot to this and certainly affects the uh, performance out on the race course. And we'll get into the chapter here on mental preparation next because that's uh, equally important. Your, your mind and uh, your body has to be ready to win that race along with the equipment. So thanks very much for uh, putting up with us today here at the uh, Specialty Produce Network. Enjoyed having this chat with you, and I hope you'll, you'll uh, listen in again. This is bye for now. It's Dennis Connor saying have a great day. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography, and history, 
taste, and culinary application on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app today. Hi, folks. This is uh, Dennis Connor. Back to you uh, in our podcast coming from Specialty Produce Network. Courtesy of uh, the wonderful folks there with the best produce in, in town. And I had a few questions from some of our fans. I try to answer those. Uh, here's a pretty famous guy, Lars Lindquist from Sweden. Hey, Dennis. I'm a big fan. I built a model of Australia, too. And I'd like to build one of, uh, of Liberty, the same scale. One inch equals 10.7. And uh, I was wondering if you could point me where I might be able to find the drawings for Liberty. Thank you. Well, Liberty, as you know, is designed by uh, Johan Valentine, and I wouldn't know how to contact him. I don't even know, embarrassed to say, if he's still alive. It's been, don't forget, 30-some-odd year, 30 year, years. So uh, I can't help you, obviously. I don't uh, have a file of all the 12 meters I've owned or, or sailed. But if you really are looking for the exact lines, you might uh, start with uh, someone like Dave Pedrick, very knowledgeable guy that worked at SNS, a very uh, good detail-oriented person. That it's possible that he would have the uh, drawings of Liberty, or he would certainly have the the lines of uh, Courageous and uh, Enterprise, which the, the boats. Honestly, you couldn't tell them, uh, the difference. You'd have to just uh, throw a dart to uh, know which one's which because the, 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 that uh, model, 12-meter of the early 80s, all the hulls that came out of America were, were virtually the same as Courageous from the uh, 74 event. Okay, folks, here's another interesting question. Well, this one comes from Chris Elliott. He's wondering about the riblets on uh, Stars and Stripes 55. And did they really work that we used uh, during the, our victory in Australia in uh, 1987? The uh, answer to that question is no one really knows. No one really knows if they worked or not. But we had two identical boats. We had uh, 100 dedicated people that were interested in bringing that cup back to America. And uh, there was no such thing as uh, too much work or effort. So when the riblets came out, basically a derivative of the uh, war effort, I think uh, someone at 3M came up with the idea. I think 3M manufactured the riblets themselves, basically plastic uh, with grooves on it that had a sticky back on one side that you could attach to something designed for cutting down the drag of fast planes. We tried those on the, our, our test boat. The, the, it took forever to cut and piece. Like Imagine piecing like a jigsaw puzzle together and getting it fair and smooth on the boat. I was a little skeptical because the, the, with those riblets on there, the bottom wasn't really all as smooth as it was um, on the 55 where we wet sanded it and put on some sort of a magic coating on there. Uh, every every day, uh, day and let it dry. It could have been soap for all, all I know, but a long time probably had a long long chain polymer 
in the solution that we were using on the race boat on 55. But we put the riblets on the test boat, and we tested it for a week or so, and I, I couldn't tell the difference. It's very hard to tell when a boat's going hull speed like they were in uh, Perth, where everywhere you go, you're going eight knots because it's so, so windy that uh, if it was five knots of wind, seven knots of wind, you might have been able to tell the difference. But I, I couldn't see a big difference in, in the riblets or not. But the key, everybody's so hyped up and keen to win this uh, regatta. And the uh, B team, as we call it, they were really all on the same team, of course. But the, uh, the uh, people working in the maintenance wanted to put the riblets on the, on the race boat. And, heck, if they want it that bad, and they want to no stone unturned. Uh, I I told him to go ahead, but would it, uh, did it work or not? I don't know. But it wasn't just a ploy to try to uh, get under the skin of the Australians. No, we too much, way way too much effort involved, and the maintenance involved every day when we got in some parts of the riblets because they were attached, as I said, a plastic say two by two sheet. They're always damaged, and it wasn't easy to repair. Imagine taking a razor and knife and try to cut off a, a curved piece of plastic and get something to fit in there. Big job. So it wasn't a ploy. Did it work? I don't know. Did it win the uh, America's Cup? Well, it was on the boat that won the America's Cup, but it wasn't the, that wasn't why we won, and we would have won without it. So Chris Elliott, good question, and uh, thanks to uh, – uh, participate in our podcast and uh, best of luck in all your sailing. 